Welcome to the fourth episode of the HLI podcast. Today coincidentally marks one year since the coronavirus outbreak was declared a pandemic. During this period, the mental health impacts on health workers are undeniable, and we envision these effects to be long-lasting and long-term. Some have even called it the next pandemic. Suk and I will reflect on these events of the past year and sh share some of the incidences, impacts, and our own personal stories. it is exactly a year since the pandemic was declared. I don't think anyone expected it to go on for so long. Initially, we thought it would be done by summer, then the second wave came around, and it's been ongoing. I clearly remember the initial days. Late February, I remember I'd flown into Geneva for various meetings and the Geneva Health Forum. The day I landed was the first time, you know, the, the day I think the first case was detected in Geneva. You know, gradually it snowballed, the forum got canceled, the pandemic was declared, and almost immediately the chaos ensued in, you know, health settings. I had conversations with numerous health workers back in the US. I remember reports from pharmacies that they had no communication from the management, there were no sanitizing supplies, patients were still waiting in the waiting areas, even though you know, they had drive-throughs. In hospitals, PPE was already becoming scarce, they had to reuse PPEs. You know, some of the health workers I remember mentioned by nurses that were buying it from Amazon. You know, many health workers were sharing their stories on social media. You know, many hospitals were calling their health workers back. They were kind of asking them to cancel their vacations. It was indeed a trying time. Yes, I mean, it's, it's truly been a trying, trying year for, for a lot of people. Um, in addition to the tragic effects of the pandemic, it's, been a, it's had a very drastic impact on health workers. Um, let me share some of the dire incidences and, and statistics relating to health workers' mental health in the past year. Um, firstly, I'm sure everyone is familiar with this case, um, the tragic news of Dr. Lorma Breen, a top emergency room doctor at a Manhattan hospital who committed suicide after working directly with COVID-19 patients. Um, it continues to be a reminder of the emotional burden healthcare workers face while battling COVID-19. And there have been so many studies before, during, and, and currently undergoing. Um, in a recent study of, of Chinese healthcare workers treating COVID-19 patients, it was found that 50.4% of them were suffering from depression, 44.6% had anxiety, and 34% had insomnia. And um, extending that to, to uh, other healthcare workers and other, other um, parts of the world, even in the US. In a recent study, um, US healthcare workers averaged a depressive symptom score that would qualify as clinical depression. It was approximately 30% higher than the depressive symptom score for the control group in the study. Further, it reported that healthcare workers were less likely to engage in um, something called proactive coping, which essentially means that they were doing less to prepare themselves for future stresses or adverse events. Um, and of course, moving on to another study, and, and, and we know um, 
both people and, and, and healthcare workers have suffered a lot in Italy. Uh, a study on Italian healthcare workers showed that professionals who worked in COVID-19 wards reported higher levels of depressive symptoms and PTSD than those who worked in other healthcare units. So even there's a huge disparity in terms of where they're working and, and the patients they're dealing with um, during the pandemic. And these concerning trends are true for healthcare workers in various parts of the world, including India, UK, Nepal, and many, many other countries. That is certainly alarming. You know, I think patient-facing roles already have an emotional toll built into it, but it's really been stretched thin with the pandemic and some of the numbers you're quoting is just reflective of that. It's such an important topic. You know, one of the things that also stood out to me was even like, you know, what do we consider frontline and what it's not? You know, as a pharmacist, I was really shocked to hear how initial, initially, you know, pharmacists were not even recognized as frontline health workers. I think both in the US and the UK, you know, finally it was rectified. But, you know, the confusion and fear that pharmacy staff had to, you know, endured during that time was really unfathomable. You know, we decided to talk to a lot of community pharmacists and technicians to better understand these mental health challenges. And we actually presented it at the International Federation of Pharmacy Conference. In that, we identified six precipitating factors for this mental health consequences, and they include increased workload, increased risk of, you know, infection, abuse and violence, which, you know, is always there in many of these settings, but certainly spiked a lot of discriminations that we've seen against health workers. And the fourth one was the denial of breaks and quarantine periods. You know, the guidelines have really not been clear about, you know, what quarantine procedures health workers, you know, need to face. We have heard of reports of where a lot of COVID-19 positive health workers were still working. And then the social isolation that has resulted from a lot of this. And one of the main things, especially initially, was the lack of clear communication and support from leadership. I think this itself leads to a lot of fear and confusion. You know, and, and what we saw that the main things, the result, you know, the manifestations of these were, you know, job stress, burnout, just regular stress, anxiety moral injury, fear, and a lot of alienation as well. Yeah, and I think for me, the most concerning thing has been um, a lot of these trends were, were becoming quite apparent right at the beginning of the pandemic, and, and they continue to be very apparent to this very day. And um, the reactions and, and the support that, that has been provided to, to healthcare workers has not been adequate at all. Um, I remember two of the um, HLI blogs during early months of the pandemic, and I think one was yours, one was Jacob's, touched upon some important issues relating to health workers. Um, Jacob shared that 47% of health workers in Canada believe that they need psychological support. And this is, again, early months of the pandemic. And in response to such conditions, many governments, um, because this was an issue, um, starting to be an issue worldwide, um, governments, including the Canadian government, uh, decided to expand their mental health resources. And the Canadian government specifically tried to do, the, do this through virtual therapy. Um, but of course, that's, it's all of these, all of these um, actions that have been taken have 
not been sufficient. Um, a lot of these actions have been very reactive rather than proactive. And, and I think like by, by this time, um, as you see these issues become bigger and bigger, by now there would be some actions that would be proactive, but they very much are just um, dealing with fires and not really uh, making adequate, adequate conditions to not have fires in the first place. First place. Um, and I think your blog uh, discussed about healthcare workers having to practice below standard of care, navigate blanket do not resuscitate orders, and in many cases, face retali retaliation from employers. Um, which again, this was in the early months of the pandemic, we already know these things were happening. And I think you highlighted 10 practices that, that can better safeguard healthcare workers. Um, if you wanna share some of those now. Yeah, those were both written in the early months of the pandemic, but it still holds true. I think the three main takeaways that I would like, you know, to draw from, you know, one, the pandemic reveals the need for stronger whistleblower protections so that we can improve the work conditions of health workers. You know, this is not only the right thing for health workers, but this eventually translates into improving quality of care and patient safety. Safety, you know, it's, we really see that, you know, health workers being safe is leading to patients being safe. The other thing that we have seen during this pandemic, because of the shortage of health workers, we already know there's a shortage. And on top of that, you know, we're losing many health workers in this battle. And we have had health workers that, you know, left for retirement and they've come back to help out. But we need to develop specific guidance for these older health workers and those with pre-existing conditions. I think one of the things we also start questioning is that why were these health workers let go when we know there is a shortage? So that's certainly something, you know, I think it really needs to look in what we really consider, you know, health workers that are retired or older health workers. And the last but not the least is the need to educate health workers on their own rights. You know, while I was preparing for the talk at the Geneva Health Forum, I researched the Code of Ethics for Nurses. And it was really encouraging to see that the Association for, you know, American Nursing Association in 2015 had added interpretive statements that highlighted the duty to self for nurses. You know, this was definitely forward looking, you know, given the pandemic we're encountering right now. And the whole idea that, you know, we all in the whole profession have a duty to our patient and we hold that very sacred. And many of us think that's where it ends. But you know, what is the duty to self? What is the duty to the family members we go back to at the end of the day? Are we taking care of ourselves that all not only preserves us because we have a right to it, but also for the future patients that we're going to see? Are we keeping that in mind when we're currently doing that? And you know, this really got me into thinking about pharmacists. You know, this is a profession because I am a pharmacist and I think it is one of the most accessible health workers and you really have a lot of you know patient counseling and patient facing roles and I realized that the US you know in the US the pharmacy code of ethics really there was no mention of the duty to self and I think this is such a fundamental requirement that needs to be rectified where we are sending out pharmacists, you know, upon graduation to not only think of the patient, but also to think of themselves so that, you know, they protect their own rights and at the same time are able to provide the care that patients deserve. 
you know, we, we need to realize that, you know, for health workers that not only have a right, but really an obligation to do so. Yeah. And, and I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, that's already so much to deal with. And, and I think at some point we lose sight of the fact that healthcare workers are also just people. And, and the average person is, is struggling under the pandemic with so many different issues. Um, and I'm sure it's, it's, it's so much harder to, to have both of those, um, both sets of issues to deal with as a healthcare worker. Um, I think for me personally, the biggest struggle has been feelings of isolation and, and being, you know, being in a different country away from my family and working from home. Um, and like I've tried co-working with friends and being more social while also maintaining social distance, but it's still quite hard. And, and healthcare workers, of course, experience that too, if they are isolated from their families, um, they're isolated even to a certain degree from other professionals in the hospitals. Um, and, and I can't even imagine how, how hard that, that's been. And even in conversation with, with, with friends and, and family, um, there, there seems to be almost at this point a feeling of apathy and, and losing interest in, in things, um, while also going hand in hand with feelings of burnout. Um, and, and, and I'm sure for healthcare workers, um, majority have been dealing with, with feelings of burnout even before pro, uh, pre-COVID because health systems are definitely not um, adequately anticipating or accommodating needs of healthcare workers in most parts of the world. Um, but it, the other thing that really worries me for, for everyone, but especially for healthcare workers, is this collective grief that's been brought on by the pandemic where so many lives have been lost to this pandemic and, and, and grief often is, 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 or can be communal in, in nature. Um, but we are so isolated from each other and to process that, but also to process just the, the, the collectiveness and, and the, 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 the significance of how big this is, of what's happening to our world right now is, is it's hard for, for just a person who is, I guess, not a healthcare worker, but for so many of them, they are often the last people to see patients, COVID patients, before they pass. And, and they are the ones who are providing some level of comfort, um, saying goodbyes, and perhaps even holding their hands, as, as a lot of healthcare workers have shared. Um, I, I can't even imagine how and, and what, is, what, is, what that is doing to, to their mental health and well-being. You're definitely right. I think it's heartbreaking to hear these stories. And, you know, we're just hearing them. I can't even understand what people are going through it. And, you know, even before we get to the point of losing someone, you know, just being infected with COVID, you know, what we're hearing about long COVID symptoms and just the symptoms, you know, what you go through. I actually... You know, I was never diagnosed with it because it was the initial months, but late March, I remember I started off with a headache and a stomach ache. And at that time, those were not listed as symptoms. And gradually it kind of, you know, rolled into where I was really feverish. 
you know, I, I kept, I was just, you know, I, I would feel exhausted. And I think the main thing about it was the exhaustion. I remember waking up and by the time I just had enough energy to make breakfast, I, I really needed to sleep. And I, and I think that's where I find it so difficult to understand the health workers that are infected. And, you know, we know a lot of them have been infected and they keep going in. In fact, there was a very egregious article about one of the pharmacies in one of the chain pharmacies where they were instructing people not to get tested when their co-workers tested positive. And, you know, I, I can't even understand. So health workers that have not been able to quarantine when they were sick, how are they carrying on with their work? Like I find it really, I, I can't even understand it. I remember it dragged on for nearly a month or two. I mean, I'm lucky to have coworkers like Xenia. I really have to give a shout out to her. She really held up key communications during that time. I think all of you, you know, you, Jacob, Noel, really keep me motivated to come back to work. And that's kind of what, you know, gets you to function beyond the kind of almost, yeah, I can't even describe it, but you know, the whole, what I think one thing you mentioned, the apathy that builds because of the continual fatigue, just trying to deal with everything. And one of the things I've had to work on during the last year and even going into this year is that how do you filter the amount of information coming in? A lot of information at a lot of times, just the overflow of information, just too much information. What do you do? How, you know, because it affects you mentally, you know, especially at HLI, we keep hearing to help workers and their stories. This is a one we keep doing it. And you really have to see how do you focus on self-care. And that's been something I've been trying to really purposefully do this year. I know on the bright side, we have vaccines rolling out, but you know, we can't really forget the lessons of the pandemic so that this is not, this is really maybe the last time we experience this and we're better prepared for when it comes along. You know, I'm really hoping that we have this continued focus on improving working conditions of our health workers, you know, both on addressing burnout on a physical level and on their mental health, and then supporting them through definite legislation and also like protecting their rights, you know, through better whistleblower protections. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lot. And we would love to to hear from our listeners about how you are dealing with the pandemic um and even as healthcare workers struggle with their mental health how does the the ripple out effect of that affect family friends and their their communities and if if you've experienced changes in your community because of that um please feel free to engage with us on our social media platforms um, and we will share the links to, to the blogs I mentioned, the HY blogs um, mentioned earlier in this podcast. Thank you so much, Suk, for, you know, talking to me today about this very important aspect. And for all of you, do join us next month, second Thursday, April 8th, to explore another facet of health workers in COVID. As Suk already mentioned, we welcome your suggestions and comments on our social media pages or email us directly at podcast at healthlawinstitute.org.